Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 76. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. It means a lot to me. Before we get started on uh, the interview, I'd like to pass along some of the services that I can provide you and your organization. You know, leadership is the difference maker and the deal breaker. You know how I feel about it if you're a regular listener on the show. I recently became a John Maxwell certified coach, teacher, and speaker. And with that, I can offer you workshops, seminars, keynote speaking, and coaching, helping you both personally and professionally through growth, through study, and practical application of John Maxwell's proven leadership methods. You know, I got over 25 years real-world practical leadership experience as a U.S. Marine Corps officer, professional pilot, corporate executive at the VP and director level, and you know I'm passionate about leadership, and you know that I believe it's central to every aspect of our lives and that all our leadership challenges should be met with that lifelong dedication and pursuit of becoming calmer, confident, consistent, and courageous. So I'm looking forward to working together through accountability with you. To learn more, go to doseofleadership.com, click on the speaking and coaching menu item, and I look forward to hearing from you. Again, thanks for tuning into the show. Now here's the interview. Well, I'm excited to have on my show Max Steyer. He's the president and CEO of the Partnership for Public Service, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to revitalizing our federal government by inspiring a new generation to serve and by transforming the way government works. Under his leadership, the partnership has been widely praised as a first-class nonprofit organization and thought leader on federal workforce issues. Max, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's so many things. And one of the benefits of doing this podcast is that I learn about many organizations I never even knew existed. Um, I meet interesting people. And this certainly fits the bill. I, you know, was studying it and looking about the partnership. And we talked, you know, in our pre-interview a month ago. I just had no idea something like this existed. And it's been there for a while. So tell me a little bit, first of all, about yourself, a little bit of your background and how you got started with the partnership. Sure. Uh, I am a, a fallen lawyer, as my wife likes to say. Uh-huh. I've done uh, a law degree and have worked uh, in both the private sector and in government in multiple places as a lawyer. Um, and uh, got very lucky uh, coming off of uh, a appointment as the Deputy General Counsel at the Department of Housing and Urban Development, working for Andrew Cuomo um, in uh, the end of the Clinton, second Clinton administration. I got lucky by meeting a gentleman by the name of Sam Heyman, who um, was very concerned that uh, talented people weren't going into government at the same levels as had when he had come out of law school uh, in the early 1960s. And he had, uh, was a very good businessman that had done a bunch of uh, research looking at the nonprofit sector and found a market opening. Uh, and that market opening was focusing on making sure the government had the right talent and managed it well. Uh, from uh, the nonprofit side. So, um, you know, his basic proposition was that we have a million nonprofits doing all kinds of things, focusing on the environment, uh, poverty, you name the, the issue of public concern, and there are going to be multiples in the way of nonprofits trying to address those issues. But basically, no one was focused on making the government itself a 
more effective actor uh, on those issues. And that's really the basis of the partnership. We believe that good government comes from good people, and we need to make sure that good people are going into government and are managed well so that the government can do all the various things that we, we want from it. And that's, uh, I met Sam Heyman and, you know, uh, sort of, uh, I guess, beginning of 2001, uh, he um, and I clicked and I put together a business plan and uh, we were off to the races at the end of that year uh, with the Partnership for Public Service. You know, I got to tell you, I got to hand it to you, you know, when Heyman was going through and that kind of call to serve, and I've met quite a few individuals about his age who, who responded to that call. And what a different time it was, though. Now what we're looking at, the government is, has expanded so much. Um, government isn't very popular. How do you deal with those challenges? Because I think from the outset, someone um, looking outside in, like myself, would say, well, this is just another uh, bureaucracy that's trying to promote big government. What is your uh, answer to that? Well, you're, you are a thousand percent right that it is a very challenging endeavor that we are taking on here. And I think the answer that I would offer you on the substance is um, we have one government. We have one tool for collective action, and we pay our taxes to that entity. And we can either sit back and criticize it, um, or we can take ownership of it and try to make it what we want. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do here. The partnership is not about bigger government. It's not about smaller government. It's about effective government. Mm, it's about like smarter that. government. Yeah, I like that. So our yeah, no, so our view is bigger or smaller, that's a you know matter for uh, the political process to resolve. But everyone is going to agree that they want something uh, from our government. And it may be the most basic uh, national security uh, issues. It could be more than that. But whatever it's doing, we should want it to do well. And it will not fix itself. Uh, it hasn't fixed itself. And the whole purpose of the nonprofit sector more generally is to engage on issues of public concern from the private sector side and to help try to address those issues, not to replace the government, but to supplement the government. And fundamentally, we believe that we ought to be committed to making our government the best government we possibly can, both so we can compete globally, but also so we can get the best return on our tax dollars. Yeah, I mean, I like it. It makes sense. And I guess that uh, what was kind of encouraging when I found this is that this isn't about, like you said, bigger government. It's not necessarily about smaller government. I like what you said there about more effective government. I suppose one of your big challenges has to be finding uh, good talent. I just don't see a lot of uh, – when I look at my kids who are in the college age uh, and I'm listening to their friends, I don't hear anybody talking about wanting to serve government. So how do you – first of all, is it a challenge – to hire and find uh, exceptional talent for to serve, and uh, what do you do to attract those folks? Right. And you know what the interesting thing is that it is a challenge, but sadly it's not the most difficult challenge. Mm. Uh, there are a whole set of challenges, and getting the very best talent that's interested in government is just is one aspect of it, and, and, and by my view not the uh, most pressing one because um, – one of the uh, issues for government more generally is that there are people who want in and they can't get in because the hiring process is so broken. So government frequently is unable to identify what is the best talent and enable that talent to come in the best way possible. And when the talent arrives, it doesn't 
do the best job in many circumstances in keeping that talent or in creating an environment in which that talent can excel. So there really are a series of problems, uh, actually uh, attracting the best talent, effectively identifying who that talent is and uh, getting them in through the hiring process and then ultimately uh, you know, using that talent in the most effective way possible and in a way that's going to keep it. So those are the sort of set of issues that government has to address and which we at the partnership are trying to, to help. Um, so focusing for a moment on the issue that you start with, which is the interest in government, um, one of the things that we find is that there is um, a lack of knowledge more than there is a lack of interest. Mm. And most people, when you ask them about government, they don't actually think about the career civil service positions. They think about the politics. That's what's captured in the media. That's what they see. Uh, they don't see the regular federal worker. Um, so they focus on Congress or the fights between the president and Congress. When in point of fact, again, we actually have an opportunity in government for anyone who's mission-oriented, anybody who is more focused on uh, the outcome of what they do uh, than maximizing the financial uh, return they may receive on their time, the government is an incredible place to work. Um, it is the largest, most impactful stage you can operate on if what you care about most is uh, creating a better world, um, uh, helping our nation succeed, uh, and helping those that um, may need some specific assistance. So um, the, the, the case is very strong. The starting problem is that most people are unaware uh, of the opportunities that they might have to serve, um, which is, uh, uh, you know, as I say, a starting problem, but not the end of the end of the issues. What about the challenge of leadership? I know with my experience of working with, of course, I was in the Marine Corps active duty, then I was in the Guard and the Reserve, and so I have a lot of experience of working with uh, civil service and government employees. Um, of course, I was a uh, technically a government employee myself. But one thing that always struck me, especially on the kind of the civilian uh, civil sector side, that there seems to be, and it, and it, it is everywhere, so I'm not just picking on this, but there is seems to be a kind of a a challenge of understanding common sense leadership. That's my perspective. I'm curious to see what you feel about the challenge of leadership is and, and how big of a challenge it is for for government. Now, look, it's the you know most fundamental issue, and again, organizationally, we're focused on getting the right talent in, but then making sure government has the right and best management leadership to uh, to effectively again uh, engage that talent. So. There is a real leadership deficit uh, on the civilian side in government, and it's fascinating, I think, uh, to look at actually the military model. I mean, the, it's, the interesting fact that a lot of people don't know is um, over a third of the federal civilian workforce actually works for the Defense Department. And if you start adding in the components that, of government that focus on um, uh, national security and homeland security, you get well in excess of half the, the government workforce being in that, in that grouping. And side by side, you have a military model of managing talent and leading talent um, that is vastly different than the right. civilian uh, approach, which is, you know, focus on actually the same outcomes, the same objectives. So it's really quite interesting. Um, and the basic, most fundamental difference is that the military invests in its talent and then 
definite leadership. And by and large, on the civilian side, you don't get that same philosophy of viewing your talent as your major asset. And that is, to me, the starting point of, of, of a problem. Uh, and what you do about that, I think, is, again, um, several different things, one of which is you try to make the case for why leadership is, in fact, vital to results. And you then try to provide tools to those that are um, responsible for managing these agencies to enable them to more effectively develop and, and grow their leadership. Um, but it's a, it is a real challenge and one that is much more severe today because of the resource constraints that government is operating under. The first thing that gets cut on the civilian side as leadership development and things that um, are, are examples of investments in, in, in talent. And you don't see that same disinvestment uh, approach either in the for-profit sector or in the military for good reason. So how do you go about tackling it? I mean, I, I mean, what, what can um, your center do or the partnership do to – um, what do you do? Do you, do, you just, do you go to agencies and say, hey, look, this is what we can provide. We can show you some common sense leadership programs. Tell me a little bit about that. No, it's a, it, it has to be multi-pronged. So partly um, you have to make more transparent the problems with not focusing on leadership. So one of the tools we use is we've created something called the Best Places to Work Rankings for the federal government. Right. And we've got a law passed that requires every federal agency to conduct an annual employee survey and then make that data public. And the reason why we did that is that, again, the public sector management challenge, I think, is actually more complex than if you find in the for-profit sector because your objectives are public goods rather than uh, financial uh, maximization. So you don't have a stock price. You don't have a P&L statement for much of what government does. But what employees have to say about an organization is, in fact, a pretty darn good proxy for performance. You see that both in the for-profit sector and, I believe, also in the public sector. So we've created these rankings that have now become, I think, a pretty public uh, accountability metric for leaders in government. And therefore, when leaders come in, senior leaders, and ignore their responsibilities uh, to manage effectively their workforces, that shows up and they can be dinged and called to the carpet by either Congress or the president or the press or other stakeholders um, for their, um, you know, for their, for the lack of attention to something really so critical. So, you know, one of the things that they say we've developed is the best place to work rankings. Um, it's been a very, really powerful tool in driving the kind of attention towards effective management, effective people management uh, that we think is so important. You know, we need outside stakeholders to be speaking up as well. And I think, again, one of the um, unfortunate features of the, of the federal government is that the leadership group is in office for a very short period of time, mm. you know, average tenure of a political appointee, opposed to the president, is on the order of two years. So these folks are in charge for so little time that they are not incented to focus on what they should be, which is making their organizations run better. They're focused on short-term issues like uh, crisis management and policy development, not on the execution of that policy, but just on proposing it. And uh, one of the things we need, therefore, are external stakeholders who speak up and um, hold uh, the leadership team accountable for that longer term. And again, uh, we hope that the business community, uh, that uh, nonprofits and others will see that they have something real at stake 
at making their government, um, you know, making their government a better managed environment. And that's another thing that we're attempting to do as an organization is to create that constituency for effective government that is largely absent today. Guys, it seems like it'd be awfully difficult to get noticed. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to just picture the environment that you're dealing with in a day-to-day. But as a CEO, how do you get heard with all the bloat and the noise that's going on in the Beltway there? It's very hard. And again, it's not the natural inclination for people to be focused on operational issues, which is what we're really about. And again, it's totally fascinating. You see the business community, when they engage with governments, they they focus on policy, even though when they're obviously dealing with their own issues, uh, their their investment ratios are the opposite. It's all about execution operations and not about the idea. Um, so, you know, the answer is that we do a variety of different things. One of the important things as a nonprofit, I believe, is we have a very aggressive and um, well-developed communication uh, function here, and we get upwards of, you know, six billion media impressions from the work we do, and which is a lot for a small nonprofit, because I believe, particularly in Washington, um, if you you know if the tree falls and no one's there to see it, it doesn't look right, then it makes no difference. So if you do your report, and it's a great report in the substance, but it gets no attention in the media, that no one pays attention. So we try to marry really good uh, policy advocacy with very effective communications, and we try to identify champions um, that we can help, um, you know, engage to uh, to get real stuff done. Part of it is focusing on things that are in fact possible to get done and demonstrating um, that change is possible. And as, as you suggest, none of this is easy and there's no uh, sort of short formula for it. But, you know, in general, we're focused on trying to make sure that um, we get as much media attention to the reforms that we want, that they are practical, that we identify things that are uh, bright spots that are already taking place, and that we um, build on, uh, you know, relationships that we grow over time. Uh, and at the end of the day, we succeed because we have an incredibly capable uh, and well-coordinated uh, uh, team of people here at the Partnership for Public Service. We walk the talk. We believe that good government begins with good people, and we believe that good nonprofits, you know, begin with good people, too. Uh, so we were you know, identified as one of the, the top five nonprofits to work for by the Nonprofit Times. We do our own staff surveys every year to make sure we listen to our employees and, and, and that their voice uh, you know, helps lead the organization. And we look for ways to create value uh, for everyone involved. How do you encourage creative thinking with your team and in your organization? You know, I think the most important thing we do is uh, is, is, is make sure that everyone recognizes that they own this place. So I, I believe that um, we will get more create, more meaningful creativity uh, if people here understand the full vision, the full strategy of the organization, and if they uh, feel a real sense of ownership of uh, the objectives that, that we and they have set. Uh, so um, to my mind, uh, the more people own, the more likely they are to to uh, put themselves out, to give that discretionary energy to find ways to do things better. And the more informed they are, the more that creativity will be directed at, at 
things that can actually make a real difference. Uh, so, you know, lots of communication, uh, lots of, uh, you know, effort to um, make people feel and, and, and in fact, be, uh, you know, aware, knowledgeable, and responsible for uh, the success of the organization. I'm curious to find a little bit more about you. I mean, I'm listening, and, and uh, can you name a person who's had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? Who are some of the uh, someone's been a mentor to you. But, you know, I don't necessarily feel like I've had a mentor per se. I feel you know, that, and this is a quality that I think is really important for our organization, that I learn from everybody uh, that I, get, I come in contact. My view is, you know, um, there are some things you, you may want, you may have to do that you may not enjoy doing, but I sure as hell better learn something from it. Right. Uh, and so uh, over time I've had great exposure to a lot of different people Probably the most meaningful was at the very outset of my career doing political organizing. And I think in part that's because you have the opportunity to make a lot of mistakes real quickly. I mean, the normal you know, organizational uh, lifespan for you know, campaigns is so short that you get to do a bunch of them pretty darn quickly and uh, you therefore learn a lot. Um, so you know, by the age of 22, whatever, I was running my own congressional race in a targeted campaign and had to put together a strategic plan and a budget and hire a dozen people. And, um, you know, I made a bunch of mistakes, and that taught me a ton. And prior to that, I had done, you know, two, three different, you know, presidential campaigns. And, again, um, I just learned a lot by seeing and experiencing, uh, you know, a variety of different um, environments and different styles. So... To me, um, you know, again, I think it's highly helpful to have diverse experience, and uh, I, I'm a big believer that you know, campaigns are a attractive you know, learning vehicle for you know, organizational work because, um, again, you, you operate at sort of warp speed, you know, dog years or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that has to be a whole unique set of leadership challenges running a campaign. I can't imagine a lot of probably dynamics, ups and downs, um, keeping emotions in check. That's got to be a, a huge challenge, keeping people inspired. One of the neat things, though, I think is, A, you have clarity of the objective right. to begin with. Um, so uh, that's very helpful. And you, by and large, don't have a lot of historical baggage. I mean, you're really, again, starting, you're starting organizations afresh. I mean, there are models and there are going to be people that are coming from different prior campaign experience, but you're really creating new organizations. And again, I do think that leading within the Partnership for Public Service with a startup, uh, frankly, I think it's a lot easier to start an organization and bring it to effectiveness than it is to change an organization that's Uh, pre-existing. But you ask me, like, what was most most fundamental for my uh, development, I think, you know, for me, it all began there in the campaign experience. Uh, not that I didn't learn from everything else that I did, but for, for, for the perspective of organizational behavior, I think I learned the most doing that. Mm. I'm curious what you think, what every characteristic um, every leader should possess. Sorry, so every leader... Uh, Repeat the question. I'm not sure I, I Yeah, I just, what is one characteristic that you believe 
every leader should possess. If you had to you know, build your dream team of leaders, what characteristics would you want them to have? At some level, I mean, again, as I said earlier at the front end, that I'm, I'm a fallen lawyer. And I think that, you know, there's an old saw that, like, you know, uh, that everyone has to have their own voice as a, as a, as a, as a trial lawyer, that there are, you know, a million different uh, approaches depending on, you just need to be yourself. And I think that, that is, there's a lot of truth to that around leadership as well, that there are a lot of different ways to lead and it has to be authentic. It has to really come mm-hmm. from the person. And um, but that would be one aspect of it. Uh, you know, I I think that there are some real basics beyond that, um, and some of it comes from you know clear and, and good values. Uh, I think that at the outset you have to have a foundation based on trust, and that trust has to be derived from a sense of of, of you know good values combined with competence. Uh, you know, you want to be able to have people who have faith that you're going to be making the best choice possible. That has to come from both um, a an anchor in, in terms of your values as well as a confidence in terms of your ability to execute effectively. Uh, and you know, that confidence, again, you know, part of that's expertise. And then a third, you know, variable, and this is, you know, something that has been defined by our mutual friend, Doug Conant, um, is uh, chemistry. And, and again, I think, as I said earlier, that different styles are uh, appropriate for different people. One of the things I learned early on for myself is that I prefer environments where people are nice. That's just something that I find, uh, you know, important to, um, to how I want, to, to where I want to spend my time. And that may not be true for everybody, for me, it's important, and therefore, when I look to the organizations that I have something to say about what their cultures look like, that's an attribute that matters to me. Um, so, again, I think fundamentally, though, um, you also want a, a in leadership. I think you really want, especially in today's world, you need someone who's a learner and therefore adapt because um, the world is changing at an ever increasing pace and. Any organization that's interfacing with that world is going to have to modify and adapt itself according to those changes. And therefore, you, as, a, as a leadership attribute, you need to be able to learn and adapt. Well, I like those. I like especially what you said about the authenticity piece. That's a, kind of my big mantra and pet peeve at this point. You know, Courageous authenticity, I think, is so critical and so important. The trust factor is huge, obviously. Um, those are, you know lifelong leadership lessons that you have to stick stick with. And I think the flexibility, I like what you said there too. Obviously, you have to be flexible and adaptable um, with the changing times. So I love what you said there. So what's next for the uh, the partnership? Where are, you, where are you going next? You know, um, the area that we're now, there are two things I would highlight. Uh, one of them is we had um, historically started with um, a a, a deep focus on the career workforce, the 2 million civilian federal employees. And then part of that was because when we first started the partnership, there was an effort to work on the political appointees. But in the last several years, we've that effort ended, that, that it pre-existed us. And in the last several years, we have been much more engaged in trying to um, improve the uh, caliber and capacity of the political leadership in government. And I'm most excited about a program that we've started uh, that is focused on trying to um, 
create uh, better uh, onboarding of the political appointees. And it's fascinating. Again, to me, it's all about who you pick and how you prepare them. Uh, the picking piece in government and the political side is very hard to influence uh, from the outside. But the preparation piece is something that almost no administration pays much attention to, and yet it's obviously really important. So we've actually created an orientation curriculum for new political appointees Focus on what's distinctive about the federal environment that trips up so many people uh, um, because they're not uh, helped at the very front end when they arrive. And so that's one area that we're you know, digging deep on and I'm very excited by. And the second, and this is something that uh, Doug Conant has helping partnership on in particular, is trying to create a business constituency for effective government, mm. recognizing again that business has a lot at stake at government working right but by and large, businesses focus on getting their policy preferences rather than also paying attention to how it is that government executes its work. So um, those are two areas that I'm very excited by. Uh, there's a lot more, but um, there's only so much you can do. Well, i got to tell you, I'm impressed with uh, that, that you're trying to tackle this. I'm impressed with the tenacity and the, and the willingness to try to, again, get into the belly of the beast because from – my perspective on the outside looking in, it just seems like the problem seems so huge and you don't even know where to start. And so I appreciate the fact that you're down there trying to make a difference. Um, and again, it's not about big government or smaller government. It's about a more effective government, which, again, is, I think, a noble cause. So kudos to you for uh, to diving in the fray. Hey, thank you very much for taking the time to learn about what we do uh, and for your excellent questions. And again, the the... I, the bottom line for me is, what choice do we really have? I mean, it's not as if we can uh, just ignore our government and then all will be right. right. I just got back to you know, from several weeks in China, and it's unbelievable what they're doing there. Yeah. And, and, and fundamentally, we compete on the quality of our public infrastructure. We're competing on the quality of our government. And we're going to lose if we don't do better. So we got to get we got to get cracking. Yeah. Well, I love it. I'm, I'm glad I met you, and I'm excited to, to follow your progress. Anything I can do to help on this end, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always here as a, as a voice and a supporter. So, so thanks for coming on the show. And we're a quick plug how people can find you. Uh, very easy. Um, you know, our website is you know, .org. Um My email is just msteyer at ourpublicservice.org. And, uh, you know, we're uh, – Small nonprofit trying to do a very big thing, fight way above our weight class, and we mm-hmm. need friends and allies. So, uh, interested in anyone who wants to help. Well, consider a friend in this corner, and then again, thanks for coming on the show, Max. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much, and take good care. Thanks. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.